Hello, friends. Welcome to the Delgado Podcast, a show featuring academics, authors, and artists who challenge the way we think and help us to grow in more empathy and compassion. Oh, and there's my dog. This is Ozzy. <laughs> Hi, Ozzy. In this week's podcast, we're honored to learn from Austin Hartke about his journey of coming out as transgender and the work he is doing to help gender expansive and trans Christians grow in their faith. Austin is the author of a fantastic book entitled Transforming the Bible and the Lives of Transgender Christians, which is published by Westminster John Knox Press. It's a great book that helps readers understand gender expansive theology and the transgender Christian experience. In this podcast, Austin talks with us about why he chose to attend a non-affirming seminary, how seminary helped him understand the bias in Bible translations. Austin talks about the fears of coming out as transgender while in seminary. We talk about some of the anti-transgender legislation that's out right now and the impact it's having on trans youth. Austin talks about some of the fears of transgender people and the importance of self-acceptance. And at the end of the podcast, Austin shares ways for parents to affirm and love their transgender kids. Austin Hartke is a graduate of Luther Seminary and holds a master's degree in Old Testament and Hebrew Bible studies. He's also the founder and director of Transmission Ministry Collective, an online community dedicated to the spiritual care, faith, and leadership potential of transgender and gender expansive Christians. Here's our conversation. Austin, thank you so much for being on the podcast. And first, I want to congratulate you on your recent engagement. Thanks. Thanks so much. Uh, yeah, we're really excited about it. It's been a long time coming. We've been together for, uh, we got engaged right after our 10-year anniversary together. So wow. it's been a while. <laughs> wow. How's the wedding planning going? You know, it, it's complicated in these times <laughs> uh, to do anything involving multiple people in one place. Um, but yeah, we're we're hoping sometime next year. Awesome. Awesome. Well, congratulations. Uh, for those that don't know you, you have done just tremendous work um, helping out our transgender Christian community with your books, your articles, your awesome video series, and also founding the Transmission Ministry Collective. So uh, first of all, I want to thank you uh, for all the work you've done. Uh, not only are you helping trans Christians, but you're also helping the loved ones of trans Christians. So thank you so much. Yeah, of course. I mean, like it's it's just what I do. <laughs> it's it came out of my own um, experiences and my own like needing resources, and so we kind of I, I built the things that I needed to see in the world, which is I think we're all trying to do in some way. I was wondering if we can take take us back to um, just your love of scripture and what led you to go to seminary. Yeah, I mean, I so uh, my um, entrance into seminary was actually in the their youth and family ministry program. Um, I started with youth and family because I knew that I wanted to go to seminary to kind of study. Um, I kind of wanted to figure out how God worked, and I figured that they would have all the answers that I needed in seminary. <laughs> And of course, that's not the way that that works, <laughs> but I didn't know that at the time. <laughs> um, and so I, I went, but I felt like I needed a excuse to tell everybody else. I felt like I needed an excuse to be like, here's why I'm going. It's not just like to find out more about God. It's like, because there's mm -hmm. a job on the other end, right? So I went into youth and family ministry because I knew that there were so many um, open positions for youth ministers. And so I thought, well, I'll go in and you know, I'll, I'll become a youth minister because we need those. 
Um, and, uh, it wasn't till after I got there that I kind of, you know, I was, I was doing internship work. I was doing, um, like, you know, uh, scriptural work and I realized I was in the wrong program because really what I wanted to do was, um, sort of deep scriptural theolo theological work, mm. um, not in an academic sense, but in, in very much, a like, how do we explain this to people who have not been to seminary sense? Um, and so I ended up mm. switching programs so I could kind of do that a little bit better. But yeah, I kind of had to give myself an excuse <laughs> to get in the door. What was your um, your family's reaction for you choosing seminary? You know, it it ranged. It was all over the place. Um, uh, I had I remember my my sister, um, <laughs> my sister Madeline said, and I think I talked about this in Transforming too. She said, do they even let people like you into seminary? <laughs> and she didn't mean that in like a mean way. She, she was like trying to figure out how to say like, is the seminary an affirming place, right? Um, and because at the time I was out as bisexual, but I wasn't out as trans yet. And so like I already knew coming in that like um, orientation was like something that I was going to have to see like, is this place a safe place to be? Um, and so she kind of was a little bit worried for me uh, going in. Um, uh, my other sister, Julia, was like surprised because I spent so much of my teenage years fighting my parents about religious issues and like not wanting to be in Christian communities. And so she was like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, and my parents were, I think, also a little bit surprised for that reason, Um but uh, in general, I think they were they were kind of uh, excited about the idea. I'm I am a first generation college student in my family, and so then first generation graduate student as well. Um, and so I think they were proud of that. Yeah, no doubt that is so cool. Um, so as you were deciding, um, like what sort of seminary to go to initially. Um, because you want to choose like an affirming seminary, what were some of the thoughts going through your mind and, and also advice for those who maybe are in your position looking to go to seminary, but not quite sure, like, where would I fit in? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that was one of the interesting things. The seminary that I uh, chose to go to, I eventually chose to go to, is not an officially affirming seminary even to this day. Um, and when I was trying to figure out which seminary I wanted to go to, like, one of the things that I had in mind in sort of the decision-making process was, do I want to go somewhere that already has a really robust program in, you know, whatever the thing is that I want to do, or do I want to take into account, like, the culture of the place? And so what happened was I had some conversations with people where I talked with them about going to um, uh, PLTS, the Pacific Lutheran Seminary out in California, which, like, has a more robust, like, queer and trans mm. theology program and they're affirming and you know so that was one of my first thoughts about like maybe i'll go there um and as i talked to people um uh, who i trusted um they were kind of like yes that's true and if you want to like really lean into that that is probably a good place to go but if you if what you want to do is figure out how to translate theological ideas um into an everyday sense for people then it's probably better to go to a seminary or an institution that is embedded in the kind of culture that you're going to be talking to when you're done, if that makes sense. And so what I ended mm -hmm. up doing was deciding to go to Luther Seminary here in Minnesota because uh, I, I grew up in Minnesota and um, I 
I wanted to go to a place where um, I would be like talking with the kind of people that I would be talking with in my work. Um, uh, whether that was early on thinking I was going to be doing youth ministry or whether it was later on. Um, but kind of thinking about like the culture of the place. Um, I remember somebody told me, if you go to PLTS and you're talking about like trans and queer issues, you're not going to run into a lot of um, uh, pushback in terms of like theological discussions because lots of folks will be on the same page as you already, which is great. Like we need those places so that we don't have to do apologetics over and over and over and over, right? Like we need those places. Absolutely. But they said, if you want to talk with people who are coming from like uh, a different place where they have a much harder time thinking about these issues, then probably go to something like like one of the Midwestern seminaries um, so that you have practice talking with people who are from that mm. context. So that was kind of what decided it for me. Mm. Were you were you anxious like leading up to going to seminary knowing that, oh gosh, I'm going to be going to a place where a lot of people might be disagreeing with maybe the the articles I'm writing and the the way that I'm headed. Yeah. Or like disagreeing with the very fact that I should be there. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> disagreeing with the fact that I exist. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think um, uh, I was nervous about it. I, uh, I went to visit days at Luther and I um, knew somebody who was going there that it was an out gay person who was going there. And I said, like, how do you feel? Like, do you feel safe on campus? Do you feel like, like, what's the situation? Um, and she very graciously kind of like showed me around and like told me what her experience was like. She connected me with the very small uh, student group that uh, they're sort of like GSA student group. Um, uh, and so it was like, I was nervous going into it. Um, once I knew that there was like a small, like it was very small, there were like 10 people in it. Um, <laughs> uh, there's sort of GSA mm. group. Once I knew that existed, that really helped because I knew that there would already be like a core organizing force if like we needed to like put up a stink about something. Um, so that was really helpful to know that that was there, even if it wasn't, you know, um, I don't even know if at that point it was an officially recognized group by the seminary. It became recognized mm. by the time I was there. Um, but, uh, but yeah, knowing that that was there really helped. And um, knowing that there were a couple of professors who were really supportive was really helpful. So it was kind of like, um, if you can find somebody who is already going to that seminary that shares your identities, whatever those identities might be, ask them what their experience is and like, you know, ask them to be honest about like, how, like, is this something you're going to have to run into day after day after day? Like professors, you know, like, um, uh, speaking down to you or, or dealing with like transphobia or homophobia in the classroom. Like how often am I going to have to emotionally budget for this? So I think talking to somebody who is already going there can be really helpful. When you decided to make that shift into really focusing in on uh, Hebrew Bible and Old Testament, what were like the, I guess, the, the books of the Bible or the, the, the classes that really spoke to you that you found really helpful? That's a great question. I, uh, so um, uh, I'll say I'll start out with um, my Hebrew classes, my Hebrew 101 class. <laughs> um, I, I came in and that was like one of my first semesters. Uh, or it was my first semester, my first like 8 a.m. morning class, first semester, first thing. And um, I took at like at the time coming in youth and family ministry, 
uh, that was not a required class. I took it because I wanted to take it. And people were like, this is a sign you're probably in the wrong program. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> That's a really hard yeah, class. Right. They were like, <laughs> Going into languages. That? But like that for me, my Hebrew class was huge. Being able to sit down and like mm. um, find out all the different ways that a passage can be translated and all the bias that goes into translation, whether we know it or not. Mm. Um, that was huge for me. Um, another was my Pentateuch class. Uh, Pentateuch or Torah is the first five books of the Bible. Um, and that was um, the first time I remember sitting in class and the first time my professor said, well, you know, Moses didn't write these five books. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> you just blew my entire brain. <laughs> um the, just having like coming from a, a context where it's like the Bible, the King James version was handed out of the clouds by God. And, and mm -hmm. like, um, I don't know, it was, it was a real, uh, it kind of blew me away having this professor be like, okay, so these first five books of the Bible, like, um, he, he kind of went over like the documentary, documentary hypothesis and this idea that like the first five books were, uh, written by like four-ish schools of thought and like compiled um, together mm. and like being able to look at the text and actually see really good like proof of that um, really changed my sense of how I could read scripture not to say that I think sometimes people will worry that it made it like looking at scripture very closely like that or looking at it in a historical context will make it less sacred somehow but it didn't at least not for me um I think it really helped me understand the conflicts that we see in, in the Bible. Like it helped me understand the moments where we're like, this seems very like contradictory, <laughs> you know, it helped me understand that. Um, it helped me understand um, like the ways that communities work together to try to figure out what God is saying to them. Um, it made it a living document, I think in a way that I hadn't really understood it before. Um, so I think my Hebrew class and my Pentateuch class, and they were both taught by the same professor who became my, um, my, uh, mm. uh editor and, and, um, person who's working on my, uh, my thesis as well. So I, I really owe a lot to him. That's awesome. How did you, as you're going through the old Testament, obviously there are just so many passages that can be very, very hard to read. Um, you have these, uh, places where, uh, the text says that God had commanded, you know, Israel to go and destroy all the Canaanites. And you have these exaggerated passages and things like that. As you were kind of uh, having your mind kind of blown um, in this class and, and reading text in the Hebrew and, and understanding bias, uh, what were some of the things that were kind of emerging and helping you to to maybe understand these texts a little bit better, especially these difficult ones? I think I remember. So two two folks to shout out. One is. Um, uh, Phyllis Tribble's book, Text of Terror. Um, I believe I've got that title right. Mm. Uh, but Phyllis Tribble uh, and her writing on like how to deal with the difficult things in the Bible. And then uh, Renita Weems also wrote a whole book about how like sexual violence, especially in the prophets and like how to deal with that. And those two, I think, were really, really helpful um, like I, I think of, of those two especially as being helpful in understanding those difficult passages, especially um, uh, Renita Weems' book, like looking at it at, from her perspective as a black woman and like 
through like different kind of lenses of intersectional oppressions, um, it was really helpful to see it from a different point of view um, because I think it's really easy for like white American Christians, especially like if you're a white male American Christian, it's easy to read passages in the Bible um, that talk about things like violence. And it's like you're reading about violence done by a people in power when you are also the people in power. And if you read it from the perspective mm -hmm. of people who are marginalized, um, there it's like a much richer, um, a much richer way of understanding the passages. You can see it from different angles that you never saw it from before. You can empathize with the people in the Bible who were the marginalized people, who were the ones that had this violence enacted upon them. Um, and you can push back on like the fact that um, you can push back on the idea that what happened was good. Because I think if you've got passages about like genocide in the Bible written from the perspective of the people committing genocide, and especially if it says that God told them to do so, you're just like, well, I guess that's the way it is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but like reading it from mm -hmm, the perspective mm -hmm. of marginalized people and connecting it to the number of times that people in scripture talk back to God and say like, God, what are you doing? This is not right. That people argue with God. Like, I think that precedent of arguing with God um, is really helpful. Um, the precedent of saying like, uh, hang on, what's going on here, God? Like this doesn't, this doesn't seem right. And also like connecting it back to things like the documentary hypothesis and understanding like how communities wrote the Bible, remembering the human element of it being like, sure, maybe some humans thought that God was saying this. It doesn't mean that God actually was saying it. <laughs> so like remembering the human element mm -hmm. there is, I think, really important as well. I love the way you phrase that. Um, that's super helpful. So as you are, you're, you're progressing in seminary, you're expanding your, your knowledge of scripture. Um, you're also um, coming to a place where you, you're ready to come out. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering if you talk a little bit about coming out uh, while in seminary versus just, just, just waiting till after seminary is over. Yeah. So I, like my experience was that I, I started sort of like sharing, like figuring out my own trans identity and sharing that with people in my last year of seminary. And I did ask myself the question a lot, like, do I need to make this a public thing right now? Do I want to wait till after I graduate? And for me, what I chose to do was like everybody in my life knew pretty much um, by the time I graduated. Not my, not my extended family who I knew I was going to have a lot of trouble with, um, <laughs> but like everybody in my immediate family knew, all of my good friends knew, a couple of my professors knew. Um, but I didn't, you know, announce it on social media and I didn't like, you know, ask to change my name or anything on my documents with the registrar. Like I didn't do any of that stuff until after I graduated. Um, and I have mixed feelings about that now. Um, on the one hand, um, on the one hand, I feel like I wish I would have been like, really out and proud about it prior to graduation. Um, because I think like the reason that I didn't was just fear, right? The reason that I didn't was just because I wasn't 
Like they hadn't had a trans person graduate, an out trans person graduate yet there. Um, they had some folks who were trans that had graduated and then come out, but nobody had graduated when like after coming out first. So I didn't know how that was going to go. Um, and so like the fear was the limiting factor. And so now I feel conflicted about that because I'm like, oh, gosh, should I just have like tried to do it anyway? Uh, but on the other hand, I don't beat myself up about it because like it was legitimate fear. <laughs> like, and I think um, if mm -hmm. I beat myself up about it, I then, uh, what does that say about the people who choose not to come out for whatever reason? Um, you know, saying, does that say that they're right. like not doing the right thing or that they are not brave for being who they are? Like, no, you know, I think people, the expectation that people come out, come out is such a like heteronormative and, and cis normative thing. Um, you don't like, nobody deserves that information from you. You can invite them into your story if you want to, but like nobody deserves that from you. Um, and especially not if you're in a place where you're not safe. And so I think I try, I tell myself that because that's what I would tell somebody that I cared about. Like, don't be hard on yourself because you had legitimate reasons for not doing it. Um, and you shouldn't invite people into your story unless you trust them and you feel safe to do so. I'm glad you talked about fear because that is something that is, um, like when I look at the legislation that's happening in this country, I think especially about all the transgender kids who are out there um, in states where it's not legal, uh, where they can be criminalized or their parents can be criminalized for helping them. There, There is so much fear that's out there where these kids are um, in that spot where they're not safe. It's not safe for them to come out. Um, and if they do, there's all these repercussions that can harm them and, and or their loved ones who are trying to help them. And a lot of the work you're doing right now uh, with Transmission Ministry Collective is really to just help trans people, trans kids. I wonder if you talk a little bit about fear, I guess just some counsel for those who are in a, in a space where they're not safe and um, they're, they're really struggling right yeah. now. It's so hard to talk about this time um, without being accused of being hyperbolic and like over-exaggerating, but like things are really bad for trans people. Things are really bad um, in a way um, with as much progress as we've made, um, it, they're still, they're almost in some ways worse now than they ever have been because before, um, when there wasn't as much visibility about trans people, <clears throat> you could fly under the radar a lot of the time and there weren't, people weren't talking about trans people and the idea of trans people existing hadn't been made into this political football. <laughs> and so, you know, but now trans people are visible and visibility does not equal safety. Visibility can make you more unsafe in many cases. Um, mm. And so, yeah, it's a really difficult time. Um, I think like to, to trans folks that are existing in this time and are trying to figure out like how to, how to be <laughs> um, finding your, like kind of like I was talking about in seminary where I found the the GSA group and I was like, okay, even if we've got 10 people in a seminary of a thousand, like at least I have these couple of people and we can band together if we need to. That's the kind of mentality that we need right now. Um, find the 10 people around you. Um, and that might be 
you know, um, you might think like 10 people, I can't find 10 people, find two people, you know, like, um, find people online, find people in the state you live in, find people, um, at, because in every state there's an LGBT organizing group, um, that you can find somebody in there are nationwide groups. There are faith-based groups like Transmission Ministry Collective. There are the folks at Trans Lifeline who you can call anytime and, you know, they'll help you find resources and they'll talk with you if you're in crisis, you know, and you just need somebody to talk to. So, like, find the the people and, and try to find sort of a, a variety of where they're located, right? Whether they're national, whether they're state, whether they're family groups, um, find your people because that's the way that we're going to get through this is by um, working by sticking together and providing each other the kind of support that we need. If we're not getting the support that we need from the society we live in, we have to provide it for each other. And that's really difficult, but that's, um, I think part of the blessing of, um, community is being able to do that for each other. For the, for the parents and loved ones of, of trans kids, um, they're looking for, they're looking to better support them, care for them in that journey. Uh, what would be your, your counsel for them if they're, they don't have any resources, they're not quite sure, like, how do I best support yeah, I mean, my trans children? Same thing in terms of getting connected, first of all. So check in with, uh, with Gender Spectrum out in California. They're nationwide. They're going to be helpful and supportive and find you ways to connect. Check out uh, Transparent USA. Um, they have some wonderful support uh, for trans parents. Check out PFLAG. Even if you're in a conservative place, almost everywhere has a PFLAG group. Um, so like get connected to those folks. Um, they're going to be able to tell you that you're not alone. They're going to be able to offer support. They're going to be able to offer resources. Um, so get connected, first of all. In terms of like supporting your um, trans youth, uh, you know, the main thing I think to remember is that um, family acceptance is the main predictor of wellness and health in trans youth, um, LGBT youth in general. Um, family, family acceptance is the main thing. And if they can feel safe at home with you, that is going to provide a protective effect for all the kinds of like negative mental health outcomes that can come from having a marginalized identity that is, um, and experiencing that kind of stress from having a marginalized identity. So if you can make your home a place where they can be safe to be themselves, where they can be safe to try on different stuff because youth are growing and they need to try on different stuff to figure out what fits, you know, if it can be a safe place for figuring that out, if it can be a place where they have their right name and pronouns used, um, making your home a sanctuary, even when the rest of the world isn't, is like the most powerful thing you can do. Mm. Mm. That's beautiful. Um, Austin, before we go, can you share a little bit about Transmission Ministry Collective and ways that people yeah, can support um, you? We're actually, right now, we have our June fundraiser going at Transmission Ministry Collective. So what we do at TMC is uh, we're a support organization for trans and gender expansive Christians. So we provide um, support groups. Uh, we have our general support groups that meet twice a week. And then we have our uh, sort of affinity groups. We have affinity groups for uh, trans uh, elders and folks in middle stages of life. We have support for trans people of color. We have our trans uh, explorers group for people who are just kind of exploring their gender and trying to figure out what works for them. Um, we have all kinds of groups uh, that meet throughout the month. We also have uh, online Bible studies. We have an online chat server. We have uh, workshops that happen once a month where we have uh, leaders in 
uh, faith and gender come and talk to us about whatever it is they're working on. So we have a workshop coming up later this month um, from author Diana Anderson. Uh, they're going to talk about um, uh, the uh, the public universal friend who was a uh, non-binary Quaker preacher in the 1700s. So they're going to come talk about that uh, later this month. Wow. So we've got all kinds of stuff happening over at TMC and um, the support groups right now are limited just to trans and gender expansive people, but the workshops and the Bible studies are open to everybody. So uh, if you want to join in, you definitely can. Uh, we're at transmissionministry.com. Uh, and you can also go there if you want to support us. We have our fundraiser going throughout the month. Um, we're trying to raise $10,000 uh, during Pride Month to support all of our programming and to support trans Christians. So if you want to go check us out, we're at transmissionministry.com. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Dogato Podcast. As always, you can get the show notes, video links, and resources mentioned in this episode on my blog at mikedelgado.org. You can also get updates to new shows and get access to the full archive of past shows by following the Delgado Podcast on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And if you ever have suggestions for future topics or guests you want to hear from on this show, please reach out. My email is delgado at ucla.edu. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll chat more next time.